Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and with me I have Young Bo. Young Bo, in indeterminate age, Bo. <laughs> We've got to decide on a specific term for you. What about just I like Bo? young. I like Young Bo. I just like giving you crap about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that was a good point. What about just young? Just what about just Bo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and lovely Crystal. Hello. 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 <laughs> uh, so for this uh, episode, we'll have a follow-up to our Academy Awards that we had from episode eighty-one. So in eighty-one, we talked about um, what the what films we wanted to win and what films we thought we would win out of the uh, the five major categories. But since the Academy Awards have now now been done, we'll follow up and uh, see who actually did win and see how right we were. I feel like Brian Cranston should just be in every category. Best picture, <laughs> Brian Cranston. I'm sure he took a really good picture one time. Best actor in a leading role, Brian Cranston. Best actress in a leading role, Brian Cranston. They probably put him in a dress somewhere in Malcolm in the Middle. And uh, best actor supporting role, I mean Brian Cranston. I just think I think he should be nominated for everything. It just should be his year. Twenty fourteen is is dubbed the year of the Cranston. <laughs> the year of the Cranston. Best special effects. <laughs> Greatest special guy effects. ever. What's his obsession with Brian Cranston, dude? I don't know. I just really loved Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> he is awesome. I'm not denying it, but uh, we'll have to see. Everyone how it goes. has their obsession. Chris Hemsworth. He's is yeah. Well, you know, because it's Chris Hemsworth. I mean, seriously, the dude's hot, uh, but. It's, it's Cranston's next film. What was that? Godzilla, yeah? You gonna go say that? Yeah, you know, the first preview for the movie, he was only in like a like a split scene, and I was like, wow, the extra looked just like Brian Cranston. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next the next uh, uh, preview that came out is like all full of Cranston. So, like, I didn't even know he was going to be in the movie at first. The first preview is kind of weird, yeah. I mean, when your major star is Brian Cranston, like, he's the main character. He's and literally he, he's one in a, little flash. It's not even a second of screen time. It's like it's really odd when they have that extended thing with the guys falling down through the sky, which looks awesome. I agree, but oh, now in this great. in this second or second trailer, it's you know it's it's all about the Cranston. They Cranstified it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So after uh, after our follow up on the Academy Awards, we'll be having a popcorn junkie from Bo. And a From the Racks comic review from myself. Then we'll have Channel Zero. We'll both be talking about some t- a couple of TV shows that we've been watching recently. Uh, Bo will be looking at Bates Motel, and I'll be look- talking about True Detective. Then we'll have our beloved Contest of Champions segment. For that segment where we have the warrior skeletons from Jason and the Argonauts versus uh, a, ho- a horde of zombies. And we'll actually have, we'll have two. We'll have uh, the Walking Dead type zombies and the... Uh, the sort of in- the infected zombies that you get from 28 Days Later and that World War Z. That doesn't seem very fair on a skeleton. Well, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> and how fair do we have to be? They're not very nice people. Uh, and then, of course, Azerothian Times. As a special, as an extra special bonus for this episode, uh, I've actually got an interview with Mr. Andrew Finnegan, uh, who is the creator and star of a one-man comedy show called Songs from the End of the World. So let's get cracking with the Academy Awards. 2014, the winners. The year of the Cranston. (laughs) (laughs) We'll call this the Cranston episode. How's that? The Cranston edition. I dig it. Okay, so starting with best picture. In our last episode, it was it was pretty much established that we all all thought that uh, Twelve Years a Slave was going to win. Except me, um, who hadn't seen it. Yeah, but I picked um, the other one. 
Dallas Dallas Buyers Club, Club. yeah, Yeah. and as Dallas Buyers Club is the one that we all thought, you know, well, basically we thought that should have won, Um, but uh, we were right. Uh, Twelve Years a Slave was the winner, and uh, I'm not happy about that. Um, I mean, Twelve Years a Slave, it's an okay film. It's definitely not the best film. I mean, it hasn't got Brian Cranston in it for a start. But it's, it, but I mean, it's, I mean, in all seriousness, it just really isn't just that good. I mean, I think it's overhyped and sort of overpraised, and there's reasons for it. I, would, I don't want to get into it in in this forum, you know, but uh, it's overpraised, and I think there's a very specific reason for that. We demand and, a recount. And uh, no, and well, well, actually, that is so. Cool. I'm so glad you said that because it's now come to light that two of the people who voted for this film actually didn't even watch it but still voted for it anyway. And that is an absolute disgrace. Like, it is, in Australia, it, we have our own sort of our awards, um, the AFI awards, and when you, uh, when, if you're one of the people that, needs to, that need to vote for these films, you actually need to go to a screening of it. You don't get a seat at a DVD. You go to a screening, your name is marked down to, to prove that you're actually there and actually watched it. Whether you fall asleep yeah. during, the, during the film itself is up to you, but you were actually physically there and you, and you saw it, at least the start of it. Right. So, and that's exactly what they should do for this. So to vote for a film that you actually didn't even watch just because you think, oh, well, it's about slavery, so it should win, that's a disgrace. And the whole thing should just, should be should be null and void, and they should do it again. And if they did it that way, that would um, lessen the instances of some people releasing these screeners on the internet. <laughs> That's awesome, great stuff. But anyway, Toby's a slave, undeserved winner. I should should have gone to Dallas Buyers Club. What do you think, Bo? I didn't I didn't see either one. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, so but I can't vote. It's fair enough. So next up, we have best actor in a leading role. Uh, the overall. Uh, consensus of the group was that Matthew McConaughey would win. Um, I was hoping Leonardo might get it just because he, you know, it's it's his Wolf of Wall Street role wasn't the greatest performance he's ever done. But I mean, give the man a break. <laughs> I mean, he's you know the actor of our generation. But uh, no, it actually went to Matthew McConaughey as we picked it for Dallas Buyers Club, and damn, he deserves it. I mean, this is this is the year of Matthew McConaughey. He's on fire. Yeah, we're living in the McConaissance. <laughs> As some people like to say. Where do you come up with these things? Uh, I, that was that's a, that's one that's on the internet. A lot of people oh, are saying oh, that. I can't Henry. take credit for that. <laughs> Chris is the, the queen of puns, though. Oh yeah, Chris is the. He comes up with the best puns. <laughs> yeah, I never thought of that one. The, but uh, the age of the, the what is it? The reconnaissance. The reconnaissance. That is so cool. <laughs> and I it's, didn't come up with it because I can't it's so it. apt because I mean he's actually now he's decided that he actually can act. He's like oh yeah, actually I can act <laughs> and he's and he's out there and he's doing it. It's awesome. He's he's. I yeah. think he knew that he just you know he did but paid the bills. I've never liked Matthew McConaughey. This what? this year is go. the first year I've had any respect for him, and um and you're going to talk about it later. But True Detective, like that's what sold it to me that yeah. oh Matthew McConaughey is not terrible like I thought he was I mean I've never liked Matthew McConaughey and that show sold him on it uh, best actress in a leading role we, we um, pretty much all agreed that Kate Blanchett was going to get it and uh, we were right Kate Blanchett did get it Australia's own Kate Blanchett I was waiting for him to say it uh, for Blue Jasmine <laughs> so you know so well done there and and well deserved uh, best supporting actor I wanted Jonah Hill to win <laughs> I knew he wasn't going to but I wanted him to win um, but uh, the consensus was pretty much that Jared Leto was going to get it, and uh, sure enough, he did for Dallas Buyers Club. And, and again, great performance. I just 
I can't stand the thought that I'm actually mouthing the words Jared Leto won an Academy Award. Someone tweeted <laughs> like tweeted a picture of Jared Leto with his shirt off and going, this guy is 42 years old. I'm like, so? That, that's not old. <laughs> Next up, we've got Best Supporting Actress. Now, I, can't remember, I can't remember who what the consensus was. Did we all agree that Lupita would get it? I can't remember. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I think it was pretty safe to say that Lupita was going to win. Uh, her last name's uh, Nyong'o. So Lupita Nyong'o, who for 12 Years a Slave. And she does deserve it. She's She steals the scene. Every scene she's in, she's, it's, she owns it. And, uh, and But funnily enough, paradoxically, she's actually part of the reason for why the film's actually not that good. It's, it's weird. It's because she, she's, she's a supporting actress. And it's basically, the story is basically about her. <laughs> it's, actually, it's meant to be about the main character, but every time she's on the yeah. screen, it's always about her. And, and that's actually, that was actually the more interesting story. So if, it, if the whole film had been about her, it, you know, it would have been a success. But because it wasn't, it's, I, I think it's kind of boring. It's kind of weird how that works. But she does an, an excellent, excellent job. And she had an awesome acceptance speech too. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was about to mention that. Like, I, I think that, uh, I, don't, I didn't know who she was in, until 12 Years a Slave, but she seems she seems like a good person like i liked her speech now one thing i thought was funny about her speech though is she was talking about how every every little kid can can see her and, and uh know that their dreams matter and and while that's true she also went to yale you know like not every little kid is going to be able to go to yale <laughs> to learn acting you know uh, and so I, I think she's i think she's humble and i think she's a, a good person and and i'm i hope i see her in more roles but yeah, I, I thought her speech was just a little, just a little funny. <laughs> <laughs> On the ball there, uh, and then finally we've got uh, best director. Um, uh, we were sort of, we were sort of mixed on who we wanted to win. Uh, the winner actually was actually Alfonso uh, Cuaron, Cuaron uh, for Gravity. Even though I didn't really like Gravity, you can tell that is his. That is his vision on the screen. You know, when he went through hell to get exactly what was in his brain on the screen, and it's so very well done that he deserves an award for it, for sure. Just a bit dis- disappointed that David O. Russell didn't win for American Hustle just for the rhyming factor. <laughs> David O. Russell for American Hustle! That would have been awesome. <laughs> 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 but uh, anyway, um, but uh, yeah, so there you go. So that was the that was the main contenders. I mean, there was a whole bunch of other awards that. But uh, that's it. That's the Academy Awards. So uh, let us know how your predictions went and uh, whether you actually enjoyed the show. Did you you, you watch the show? Didn't you, Bo? Yeah, yeah, I watched. Um, I watched a little bit of it. What you think of I the mean, show probably, itself? Uh, I liked it. I, I I thought Ellen DeGeneres was funny. She ordered pizza for uh, all the celebrities and she took selfies with them. I I, I kind of like her kind of subtle humor. I'm I'm into that sort of thing, and uh, I thought it was funny. I liked it. Yeah, I, I thought she was one of the better hosts. I don't watch it every year. I'm not yeah. like a big Academy Awards person. My wife is, um, and and I, I watched a little bit of it with her, and I I, I was not bored. I liked it. <laughs> That's all that really matters. <laughs> I usually like watching at least the start of it, but it it didn't start here until twenty to ten in the evening, and it goes for like fifty thousand hours. So. <laughs> I just gave up on actually watching any of it. Yeah, it was it was alright. I thought the pizza thing went a little too long, um, but I I totally agree with you. With the, <laughs> the pizza thing went a little too long. Yeah. Why is that funny? I don't know. It just sounds funny. Giggity. But uh, but uh, yeah. So this. I mean, but, but I, I agree with you about Alan. I, I think she's she's quite funny in an understated way. I think, and uh, she's not over yeah. the top funny. But yeah, someone commented that uh, through her 
her Alan's show, she knows how to work an audience. And mm. That, that um, skill really comes in handy with the Oscars. Because, I mean, there might be an audience full of mega famous people, but there's still an audience. Yeah, there's still right. people at the end of the day. That's um, a good point. Cool. So let's uh, let's move on to Popcorn Junkies. Intermediate Age Bo is going to be covering the film Pontypool. Let's see. It's from 2008. It's a horror thriller. And um, director Bruce McDonald, uh, writer Tony Burgess. But uh, let's see. How do you describe this movie? It's a zombie movie, but it's told from the perspective of a disc jockey at like a small radio station. I don't know why I'm so attracted to, to radio. Like, I mean, obviously I podcast and stuff, but I've always been that way. News radio is one of my favorite shows. Um, I love Frasier because he's, he, you know, he's on the radio sometimes. Like anytime like the main character is, is a disc jockey, for some reason it has an automatic plus in my book. But this movie's interesting because people call in to the radio station and describe what's going on. So it's not like you're seeing firsthand the zombie apocalypse. You're just kind of hearing this the secondhand um, story. Um, you're you're hearing the people on the street calling in, going, "Oh uh, yeah, man, it's insane over here. Like they've got po- bodies piled up. Like you know, we don't know what's going on." And the guy in the radio booth. He's been there since like 4 a.m. and and he doesn't he doesn't understand what's going on and, and they you know your automatic reaction would probably be to get off the air and you know seek seek help somewhere but at the same time they're like well we want to keep reporting it we want to keep broadcasting it a it's good material um, b it's you know it's just it's kind of like part of what they do you know like they they report. The news, they report what happens, they talk about it, and there's things happening, so naturally they they feel inclined to talk about it. Um, have you seen Pontypool, David? No, man. I actually didn't know anything about it until I saw the running sheet and had to Google it. Oh, my yeah, God, it's, a zombie movie you haven't seen. I know. You know, I tell a lot of people about this movie, and i got to say probably half the people I tell about it love it, the other half hate it, because so zombie movies always touch on how the virus is spread. You know, is it a disease? Is it a... You know, you know. However, the, are they dead? And then they they raise up and like, well, the way the virus is spread, or the way this zombie mayhem is, it's kind of like, it's kind of like everybody's sort of infected, kind of like in The Walking Dead, where everybody's infected. Only certain words trigger it. So, like certain words that you hear will trigger a response. You don't know what the word could be for you, and it may be something different for you than it is for somebody else. But it triggers. You know, this violent, kind of almost like 28 Days Later style zombie response where they're not living dead. They just sort of go in this enrage, you know. Oh, interesting. And they're doing some kind of corny broadcast about how, you know, Mrs. Peterson lost her cat. And if anybody's seen this tabby, you know, <laughs> mm. please call this number. we got to help Miss, Mrs. Peterson find her cat. Well, at some point in the movie, all of the zombies are repeating this. They're all going, they're all talking about Mrs. Peterson's cat and they're all trying to find the cat. And like, it's because they have this weird response to, to language and, and, and to the verbiage. So like it adds this whole dynamic to a zombie movie that whether you think it's corny or not, no one's ever made this movie. Like this is an original zombie movie, one that you haven't seen before. Hmm. And if you're a zombie fan, it should be on your list. Uh, Pawnee pool, check it out. I'm not even in the horror movies. Hmm. But this is this is a cool movie. I would give it 
damn near five out of five. Wow, I mean, it's, really? It's a really good movie, yeah. So 4.5? It's, it's a really good movie. Yeah, 4.5, yeah. Well, that's better. I've just recently done a spreadsheet of all our ratings. I'm thinking, how am I supposed to write down damn near four out of, damn near five out of five? <laughs> <laughs> how does that translate? It doesn't to translate. It's 4.75 out of five. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, they'll definitely be heading down to the shops and buy, buy that after this. That's cool. Uh, next up, we've, uh, we've got a From the Racks. So I'll be doing a comic review. One of our followers on Twitter um, is the marketing person for this comic uh, called Saltia. Her name's Claire Ferguson. And uh, I, I contacted her and asked her if, uh, if it would be okay if I reviewed uh, the comic. And she was very amicable to it, thankfully, which is good. Sent me a copy. Now, the reason I did that is normally I would actually just go, I'd go buy this comic. But this comic's actually not available in Australia as of yet. Uh, which is what got me quite intrigued. Uh, it's it's a, a superhero comic uh, based on a Scottish uh, character, so it's basically a Scottish superhero comic, uh, which is very very cool. I, I was I was quite intrigued by that concept because let's face it, there's, there's you know 20 billion American superheroes, and there's other you know, there's others as well. Canadian, I mean even Australia's got a couple. I've just I've just never heard of a Scottish superhero that wasn't played for laughs. It wasn't you know just some. Some dude in a in a kilt and some bagpipes, you know. Faster, Captain. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So this is a you know this is a a, a serious attempt at a Scottish superhero, and and I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm glad I did. It's it's uh, a lot of fun. It was created by John Ferguson. Uh, the art is done by. Now I'm gonna get this name wrong. Uh, I'm, I apologize. It's it's Tone Jolst, yeah. So it's T O N E, and his last name is J U L S K J E A R. Um, it's an awesome looking name. Very cool. That, that name alone could be a superhero name. Um, and uh, also Gary Welsh. Uh, volume 1 was published in November 2013, so it's fairly recent. Uh, so the story itself deals with an impending attack on Scotland by the Roman army. The people summon their heroes, both mortal and immortal, uh, to combat the enemy and save the lives and lands. Um, and the greatest hero out of all these is Saltia. Um, the summoning of the hero stuff is just is classic D&D stuff. It's very, very cool. It's, uh, it's it's got like this splash page, and it, it describes you know the heroes and their and funnily enough their weapons. So it's like their whip, each each hero has a weapon of choice that may or may not have a name. But it's like something special about it, and it describes that. That song just came into my head. Weapon of choice, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then then you get the uh, the immortal sharp as well, and then the and then uh, finally Saltira himself arrives, and uh, they attack the the invading Roman army, and um, which is. Factual, by the way. I mean, obviously not the immortal heroes and stuff, but, I mean, the Romans did try and advance up to uh, a certain point. So, uh, so Saltia joins, joins uh, the, the, the fight and uh, versus the, the Roman army, once, because Saltia's uh, there as well. The Roman army uh, gets assist, get, also gets some immortal assistance and they, basically, and they go at it. Um, and the second, the second part of that, the comic is, uh, it's basically it's, it's split up into volumes. So it's volume one, Invasion, and volume two, Inception. And volume two deals with the creation of Salt here himself, um, and, and basically what they needed to do in order to create this this uh, awesome looking hero. I really liked the the use of uh, traditional myths uh, and legends, and I liked I liked how they sort of translated into sort of the classic sort of superhero style. I mean, let's face it, su- superheroes are essentially our modern myths. I mean, it's, I mean, Superman is is basically a sun god and is really no different to Apollo and. And uh, so, just like the ancient peoples who used myths and legends as basically, there's their their superhero stories, and that's and that's where we're, what we've got now today. And so, this this really 
sort of ties the two together in, a, in an interesting style that I thought. I mean, I, th- I guess the, the closest analogy would be Thor, so uh, Marvel's Thor. I really like the art. The art is really nice and clean. It's, it's uncluttered. Uh, there's not a lot of background work. It's mainly just sort of uh, what looks to be sort of um, watercolours and stuff. But I really like that. That's cool. We're not in the city here. I mean, this is all in fields and, and stuff like that. Whenever you need to see a field, you see a field. If you need to see a lake, you see a lake. But most of the time, the action is, is, has sort of a, a nice sort of just sort of watercolour colouring behind it, which I quite like. The art itself has a really cool sort of uh, hand-coloured feel to it. I don't know if that's actually what, what happened, but it, it's almost like they, they got out the Derwents, you know, and just hand-coloured it with the Derwents, which is awesome for me, which I feel that's cool because Derwents are mad. So it basically just looks pencil for anybody who doesn't know what Derwents are, that Derwents are a range of pencils. Um, and um, it just it just lends itself a really sort of uh, a sort of a classic sort of look to it that, that I really uh, responded to. Um, I mean, it's all well and good, you know, having computer-coloured stuff. But I kind of missed the good, you know, <laughs> the good old days, and it has, sort of has that sort of feel to it. Um, some of the body work on some of the characters sometimes might need a little bit of tweaking, um, but it is uh, it is their first professional work, the artists, um, and it's actually it's actually interesting uh, that they were found through a um, a competition type thing that they did at um, an art school, and they were they they were basically they were the winners, and uh, onto the book they went. So congratulations to them for that. That was awesome stuff. Um, but generally, the art is is actually is quite good. Some of the design work is awesome. I mean, Saltier himself just looks magnificent. I mean, he's, just, he's he's blue. Doesn't look like anything any of the characters out of Avatar, thank God. But he's basically just this big, this big burly dude with a beard and you know lots of muscles, and he's 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 blue, uh, and uh, he's got these really cool tattoos that are, are glow, like glowing tattoos and stuff. He looks awesome. Um, the the Romans, the Roman immortal being that shows up to fights and looks cool as well but the actual coolest character is is uh this character in in volume two uh who's basically a bad guy and he has this fire whip thing and he's, he's got this, this armor and this fire whip and stuff he looks magnificent so the fight between him and him and saltier was awesome awesome stuff so it's, I mean, so, so it's great to see a scottish a traditional scottish superhero um that it's a rich heritage and uh it, it deserves to be sort of explored a bit more if I was if I was to have uh, any any sort of criticism, I guess the only thing I'd have is that I would prefer to have read book two, uh, volume two, before volume ones. I mean, I can understand why it's laid out the way it is. I mean, it's you know chucks you straight into the action, and then you you get sort of the origin of Saltier himself. But I just I just found it just didn't really flow very well. I just once I finished reading the whole thing, I basically then read when I reread it again just recently for for the review. I basically read book two first, and then. Uh, book one, and uh, I just found that sort of worked a little bit better. Um, but I'm very much lo- I'm very much looking forward to the next volume. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to buy it in a store because uh, I definitely will. I'll definitely be buying it. Um, I give this uh, four looks, and thanks again to uh, Claire for uh, giving me the opportunity to review it. Okay, next up we've got Channel Zero. <laughs> She watched Channel Zero. Okay, so for Channel Zero, we're going to be discussing some TV shows that we've been uh, watching recently. And first up, we've got Bo with Bates Motel. Yeah, so uh, Bates Motel. So so far, I believe it only has had one season out. I've only watched one season. I think season two actually just started. Mm-hmm. It's basically it's a prequel to Psycho, Psycho only. It's a bit weird because it's told in present day. Yeah. 
once you get past that though it's a really great show but that'll mess with you for a little while <laughs> the first the first couple episodes i really just didn't understand why norman bates had a uh, ipod uh, it didn't really make any sense at all but but the truth is the, the show is really good and it's really creepy the way the story's told is the kid norman is seeing things and he's imagining that his mother's telling him to do things that she's that she's never said now his his mom is really messed up too norma bates so the character may stumble across i'm trying to think of how to word this without actually spoiling the show for you hmm. but like let's say let's say i was this is completely not in the show at all by the way so i'm not spoiling anything let's say i was growing marijuana in my house yeah and then norman bates walked in and he just saw you know pot plants all over my house you know and um nsa i, I promise this is this is a bit um <laughs> don't, and, don't uh, rate him don't rate him it's all good <laughs> and then the next time someone walked into the room the plants were gone well norman bates has a history of seeing things and kind of blacking out and imagining things that aren't there so you as the viewer are not sure whether you saw pot plants there because norman saw them there or whether they were really there. And so stuff like that happens in the show where, you know, somebody seems incriminated in something and it seems like they did something, but it could just be Norman just, uh, you know, just being classic Norman. Yeah. <laughs> um, it could just be Norman just, you know, imagining the whole thing. Right. And so I really like how the show kind of keeps you guessing that way. But, dude, the kid's, like, in love with his mom. Uh, he, well, how like, could you not be? I mean, look who plays his mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's she be is fair. I saw her in something else the other day. Oh, I know what it was. She's in Frasier. Yeah. Um. She's a she's a character in Frasier, but she's honestly the actress uh, Vera Farmiga. 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 She's a uh, honestly she's there's some scenes she's amazing in, and she really just puts the creeps on you. You know, like you really think, oh my god, this woman is just out of her mind. Um, but there's a lot of scenes where she's so over the top. I almost seem, and it, this is not just continuing the Brian Cranston drug. I'm, I'm really being serious. Some scenes she's so over the top and just so angry that it reminds me of Brian Cranston on Malcolm in the, Mid in the Middle, where he's just freaking out, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's comical. Yeah. Some of her scenes are are comical, but I don't think they're meant to be comical. Right. Because um, she just gets so angry and over the top. Um, but the show starts with um, in the first episode. Uh, the mother, uh, she gets she gets raped by this guy. She ends up uh, handcuffing the guy and, and, and getting out of the whole thing because Norman sneaks up and hits him in the head with something. And um, whenever Norman leaves the room to call the cops, he says something that kind of sets her off. And then she starts like killing him with a night reminiscent to the movie Psycho. And Norman walks in and sees the whole thing. And so uh, Norma, the mother, and Norman... Uh, they have this pack together where they go and they hide the body and they, they don't want – because they're trying to make this hotel popular and they're afraid that if people know that the murder happened there, then they won't go visit the hotel. So she convinces Norman to help her hide the body. And, um, and then that's just sort of where the story ensues from there. Uh, the people that live in the small town, they start seeing that there's fishy stuff going on with the you – know, there's a missing person in town now and all the evidence leads to this weird hotel – this creepy kid's in love with his mom. And, and I think it's a really good show. I don't know where it's going. Well, I kind of know where it's going because I've seen Psycho. Yeah. But I don't know how the story gets from where it is now to there. 
Exactly. Like, there's a brother. I don't remember there being a brother in Psycho at all, but um, Norman has a brother on the TV show. And the brother is kind of like the only normal person in the family. <laughs> and um, and so they had this whole, he has this whole dilemma of like, well, he thinks his sibling and his mother's crazy. Hmm. Freddie Highmore, uh, playing Norman Bates, is absolutely creepy. Like, has like Casablanca movie quotes to his mom. Like, all these like romantic scenes that kids shouldn't be having with their parents <laughs> yeah. and even the mom kind of thinks it's creepy and she's like chill out with that a little bit norman you know, you know, like, you know it, it's weird you know it's bad when the insane woman thinks it's a bit weird <laughs> yeah yeah she's like you're a little creepy norman you should work on it a little bit um but yeah i i'm definitely gonna watch season two i only watched it because it was um it was in my suggested queue and i usually trust uh they're usually pretty good about what i might like and uh and they were spot on it's it's a good show it's hard to give a TV show a score. Right now, season one, four out of five loops. Oh, well, I'll definitely check it out on that recommendation for sure. Cool. Uh, well, I'm going to be talking about True Detective. Now, it's this is a, it's an interesting show. I, I actually didn't even know this show existed um, for quite a long amazing. time. But then I heard uh, some friends of mine, namely Bo, <laughs> and uh, the ECA crew people talking about it and raving about it. So I thought, you know, I should check it out. It's, it's got, you know, great reviews. And just about everybody who reviews it thinks it's absolutely brilliant stuff, and uh, it's got very high scores on um, review websites and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to be a bit controversial. I don't think it's that good. Um, I, don't, I mean, it's been talked about as the greatest show since The Sopranos, or you know, even Breaking Bad. And uh, since Brian Cranston's not in it, it can't be that good. But um, it is extremely good. I mean, it really is amazing stuff. And it starts. It stars uh, yeah, Matthew McConaughey, who's just on fire, and this is part of the reason why. Um, and Woody Harrelson as, as a couple of detectives in uh, Southern America, I think it's like Alabama or something like Louisiana. that. Yeah, Louisiana, that's right. Yeah. Um, who are investigating a, a quite a, a, a weird sort of creepy murder. And it sort of, it sort of delves into, you know, as, as these shows always do, it, go, it goes for a bit of an American Gothic sort of thing and, and uh, delves into the, the secrets of the town and, you know, people know things and haven't revealed them for years and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's... Not the most original story in the world, but what covers uh, what covers that floor is the acting. Um, everybody in this in the show is uh, is amazing. Is really is I can't praise them highly enough, especially the two main actors. But you also have uh, uh, Michelle Monaghan um, in there as uh, as the wife of Woody Harrelson's character. She's does her best performance ever, um, and I'm always happy to see Michelle Monaghan. And, uh, and you also just a whole bunch of other. The sort of really good TV actors uh, really giving them all. And we, I'm, I'm so glad that we live in an age where TV is the place to is the place for actors to, to turn to. Like TV is where original content and uh, where excellent original content is being made. Not all of it's the greatest, but it's I mean it's it's become pretty, pretty much a haven for actors who actually want to get some original stuff happening instead of all these you know ridiculous remakes and you know big blockbuster big blockbuster stuff that we're seeing and stuff. And that was unheard of a few years ago. That's just, I mean, a few years ago, TV was, was where you went to when you weren't getting any film work. It was seen as uh, a backstep to go to TV yeah. um, instead, of, instead of film. But now that's completely reversed. The, things, the, the thing with True Detective is, that, is not only is the acting excellent, but uh, the cinematography is also, also very well done. Yeah. I guess, I guess the reason I, I don't rate it as highly as other people, I think, is because the story really is not that original at all. And the, I just think it just is just taking a little too long. Like it is, it is only eight episodes, 
Um, but it could easily have been cut down to four or five. It's, you know, it's, it's, but it's not a huge problem. I mean, it's only eight episodes, really. It's, I mean, it's, at, at the end of the day, it's going to be eight excellent episodes, in, you know, compared to twenty-two very mediocre episodes of some other shows. I think the way it, uh, the originality of it is the way it's put together. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, that's it's true. The, like the 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 interviews of them in the present day, and then they go back in time. Right. Yeah. That's what I like about it. Yeah, it does it does I like it does the have the narrative that, of it. Yeah, it does have that cool it does have that sort cool sort of twist where it's yeah, they're being interviewed in present day and it and and it sort of goes through the history of the thing. I do like the fact that in some occasions when they're answering the interview question, they're actually just blatantly lying through their teeth. Um yeah. that sort of stuff is quite cool. Yeah. Well, well I, I agree with you and I think you've touched on all of this, but like what I what I really like about the show and the reason why I think it's getting so much so much attention is a the way it's narrated i think you're spot on there um and i love how like they you know they're lying to the current ones and you know i I love that but i think the bigger conversation it's the acting of the that's what holds it up Hmm. and the fact that we're seeing this level of cinematography this level of acting this level of actors on a television show i think that's why this show is important you know yeah i agree it's and it's it's a great show i mean i really like it a lot I wonder if TV shows are being made more cinematic because most everyone now has big plasma widescreen TVs. Yeah, you're probably right there, for sure. That's definitely part no of it. there's no point in making cinematic stuff for the little boxy uh, cathode ray stuff. And yeah. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I feel like I feel like content these days is being made to be, you know, kind of Netflix consumed, like binge consumed. Oh, um, yeah, just, yeah, you're right, you're totally right. I don't think they. I don't think they wanted to make a movie because the cost of the movie compared to, you know, what they would make putting it in theaters. Just being like, if this was just another movie, a lot of people wouldn't see it because the story is just, you know, it's just a mystery. It's just a murder mystery. It's just about this southern town, and like that's been done, like you were saying. So making it a TV show, and inevitably it's going to hit Netflix as soon as it's all released. Um, I doubt that it stays exclusive to HBO for very long. Inevitably, it hits Netflix. I, I think they gain more to profit from making it a TV show and making it highly consumable in a binge fashion. And, and I think that's where a lot of creators are going these days. I think we're going to see a lot more of this. And I think we have seen a lot of this. Yep, totally with you there. So, uh, True Detective. So, uh, in, in terms of rating, um, it's not finished yet. I actually, I actually don't want to rate it until I've seen Episode 8, which I don't even know if it's even out yet. So, I want to see it as a complete package. I sort of... I think Crystal and I pretty much figured it out in the first episode. So, if it turns out that we're right, I'll be pretty disappointed. Um, but, uh, I mean, I'm enjoying the journey, and uh, it is definitely an experience, and I highly recommend it to anybody who wants to see good TV. When any fan of, you know, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad... You know, that sort of stuff. Um, it's a must-watch. I like how the look of the characters transforms over the years, too. Yeah. Okay. Although, in the first episodes, I thought it detracted a bit for Woody Harrelson because as soon as you see him present day with not a lot of hair, then you go back and see him with hair, the hair looks so fake. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like, it does. Obviously a t- t- <laughs> toupee. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to Contest of Champions. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! For this edition of Contest of Champion, we're repeating the warrior skeletons from Jason and the Argonauts, who I believe are referred to as the Spartoi. 
could be wrong, um, versus zombies, a horde of zombies. So we're going to have to do this in two rounds. Round one is we're going to have a horde of Walking Dead, sort of, you know, Day of the Dead sort of style zombies, the brainless, slow, you know, uh, brains, that sort of stuff. And then round two, we're going to have the, the skeletons, a, a new fresh batch of skeletons. We won't have the same skeletons, poor things. They'll be a bit exhausted. Uh, versus uh, a 28 days later sort of World War Z sort of style zombies. Cool. All right. So, so for, for those that don't know, the the skeletons from Jason Argonauts, what, what happens? It's it's a, it's a variation on an actual Greek myth. Uh, the original Greek myth was uh, the teeth of the Hydra. Um, if they were sewn into the ground, would we create this this race of people called the Spartoi? Um, and they they appeared as sort of like as humanoids, and they would then they would then attack whoever you wanted them to attack, and they were beaten by the hero when the hero threw. Uh, I can't remember the name of the hero, but the hero threw a rock in amongst them, and one of, one of them accused one of the others of of hitting them, and so they basically started fighting amongst themselves and killed each other. Um, so they're, 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 just, they're basically bred for battle. They're not the str- the smartest people in the world, and uh, but they, they they take you know battle very seriously and uh, that sort of stuff. In the Jason and the Argonauts film version, um, the classic uh, Harryhausen version. Um, the Spartoi, uh, they're also, they're sewn from the teeth of the Hydro, but they come up as skeletons, um, and they're fully armed and ready to go. There's five of them. I remember being very impressed by those special effects back then. Oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely magnificent. They still hold up today. It's unbelievable. Um, so they, they, so each skeleton has a sword and a shield, um, and there's five of them and they basically, they attack, the slight variation into this is they actually attack anything that they see. Um, so the, the the bad guy once he brings he summons them up he actually sort of takes a step back because <laughs> he's like I'm going to get out of here sort of stuff, which is pretty cool and the skeletons then attack um, Jason and his men which is an absolutely magnificent sequence as Crystal said uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to have those so, so those so the skeletons already exist they've already become up out of the ground so this is round one so they're being approached by a uh, what do they call it in Walking Dead when there's a whole heap of them flange uh, a flange I don't know they're, <laughs> they're walkers <laughs> no, there's, uh, like there's like a herd or something. I think they're called when there's like a, like a massive group a herd. of them. I've yeah. heard them say herd. Yeah, there's yeah. a herd. There's a herd of walkers, and uh, they're advancing on the on the skeletons. Um, they don't automatically attack the skeletons because they wouldn't. No. Because they're already dead. Uh, but the skeletons, uh, being what they are, they're like automatically they see enemies and psh, away they go. So they're in there. What do you think? Honestly, with the Walking Dead walkers. You gotta talk about that because that's the most popular ones right now. Yeah. But the Walking Dead walkers, let's see their motivation. They they are literally the living dead. They're after brains and flesh. Yeah. Um, which the Argonaut uh, Spartoi guys yeah. have have none of yeah. <laughs> brains or flesh. Exactly. <laughs> and also, they've established on the Walking Dead that the walkers uh, they pursue things by scent. And I doubt that the Spartoys smell like humans. I don't think they smell living. Yeah, I, th- I, th- uh, I they... think it's, it's pretty obvious to say that the Walking Dead zombies don't attack the skeletons, but the skeletons will attack them. So the skeletons would attack the crap out of them. Yeah. And I feel like they'd hit one in the head, it would die. They'd hit the next one in the head, it would die. They'd hit the next one in the head, it would die. And just, it would, the, the zombies, they don't have any kind of like, group mentality like sure they're kind of like have a herd mentality but they don't protect the herd like i don't think that i think that they'd walk up and just one by one 
kill them all. Like I don't yeah. think it would be that hard. I'm totally it's a with matter you. of time. Yeah, it just depends on whether the skeletons get tired or not, because the, the, the zombies yeah. could just keep coming. But well, yeah, that, that's a good point. I, it's, it's, I think it's pretty safe to say they don't. I mean, they're magically control, uh, like enhanced. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. flesh to control the, the bones, but they still animate and so they still work, and they're still intelligent. They're intelligent enough to know who the enemy is. So I, th- I think Bo's I think Bo's got it. I totally one hundred percent agree. There's no com- there's no conversation needed. It's the zo- the skeletons would absolutely decimate every single zombie they saw. But then they'd start coming after the humans. Yeah, well then that's a whole different story. That's a whole different kind of champions. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I think now, now I think that this is where it gets interesting. This is a good example of drawing the difference between the Walking Dead zombies and say the Twenty Eight Days Later or the Pontypool style zombies where. Um, it's sort of a virus of, of rage, and I think the 28 Days Later zombies, they may have more of a conscious, uh, you know, fighting back mentality. Yeah. I, I, think that, uh, I, I think that they would overwhelm the Argonaut uh, Spartoys. Yeah, I'm with you. So we've gone. So we've gone into round two, and so now we've got the, the 28 Day round. And actually, it is actually called the Rage Virus, so yeah, it's just the Rage, you know, yeah. zombie infected, whatever you want to call it. That that is the competition that I'd be paying money to see. I mean, those they yeah. they they'll attack anything in sight, and uh, they they will fight back. And they actually have tactics. That would be something impressive to see. That, that would be the skeletons would be going all out. And uh, but then I I do I actually do think the the rage, the rage virus zombies would would actually pull it off in the end. They would, I mean it shows. I mean Jason the Argonaut it shows that even though they're quite fearsome fighters, um, and they don't tire or anything like that, they still can be destroyed. By yeah. just normal everyday humans, so rage virus enhanced ones, especially a whole bunch of them, it's game over. And I, I think this is like partially a game of numbers too, though. Yeah. Um, five spar toys versus five, you know, rage virus infected humans. Spar toys might win, actually. Oh, that's um, such a good point. Nice. If we're saying it's a herd, though, I mean, I just think that they overwhelm them. Unless more skeletons are summoned. Now nah, we'll just we'll just stick with the original five. Yeah, if, if it was an even number so here's the thing though here's the thing you imagine a horde it's an army of zombies like you know a ton of zombies yeah that many spar toys could take over the world like i feel like <laughs> <laughs> that's not even a joke <laughs> like it may happen one day <laughs> I, I i just i just feel like if we're basing it on what we see in both movies uh you know the number the number of spar toys uh, are like five or six in yeah. Jason Egg and, and the Argonauts, they would be overrun, overrun. Yeah. But I think they are a more powerful species. But I think it's just a matter of you know throwing meat shield. I mean, the first the first wave of you know rage virus infected would would definitely die. I mean, but there's no way they could they could get them all. And I mean, it, they would just trample them basically. And that is pretty much it in a nutshell, dude. I think that's that is that's the final word. You're totally right. So that was pretty. That was a pretty. So, this is a pretty easy one when you're in the day. It's a pretty concise so, one. Yeah, it's a pretty concise <laughs> one. I, I find it. I actually wanted to do this one though because I find it really interesting to to compare the the two different types of zombies between the Walking Dead zombies and the and the Rage Virus ones. Yeah. And uh, and the the spark this this pairing this team up this contest of champions you know just draws a perfect illustration on how to on on why why like the zombie apocalypse. If it's the Walking Dead, it ain't really that big a deal, really. I mean, like, if you really think about it. 
I think at this point, I think at the point they are in the TV show, like they're like two years afterwards. Yeah. We'd all be back to work by now. I don't think it'd be that <laughs> as big a deal as it is on the show. I mean, it would just be like, man, I woke up this morning and uh, I had to kill like four zombies on my way to work. It was such a stressful day. Like I never, <laughs> God, I hate Mondays. You know, that's the way it would be. I feel like because. We would just we would just be used to it, you know. Yeah, I'm so with you. It's just, I mean, it's, if there was a, if a zombie apocalypse happened today, I don't think it would be. Well, I don't think most people would be, even really believe it because they're so used to it now. You know, maybe be like, oh, well, whatever. I think yeah, it's one of those zombie. Oh ones. no, yeah. I think there's a faction of people. I, I think this is a whole other conversation. But I think there's a faction of people that think it is going to happen. Like yeah, they, yeah, they, for sure. They're so they believe it so much. They're just they're waiting on it to happen. Yeah. And then, and, but I, I just think it's, we're in a point of point of history where if something like that does happen, I think yeah. we'll actually will survive. I don't think the Walking Dead scenario will work because most people now know how to take out a zombie. So it's, even the average person in the street knows. Guns. Yeah, we've, we've got know? it. We've got it easy. Zombies don't stand a chance. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll be we'll be right. All right, just just a, just as, on a, on a side. Now let's put the Walking Dead zombies against the Twenty Eight Days Later zombies. Oh, 28 days later, he's got it all day long, man. <laughs> but well, let, I don't know. But what happens, know, though, though, if a walking dead zombie bites a 28 days later infected, oh do, they then get, do they then get turned? Do we then have oh 28 days later infected walking dead zombies? We would. And then that's it. That's the end of humanity. Oh, my God. It's the end of human race. David. <laughs> oh, my God. And then what happens if the board come and infect the infected? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rage virus, rage virus infected Borg. Once they're infected by the Borg, I think they're Borg. I don't think they're zombie Borg. (laughs) I think the I think the hive mind would just control them. They'd just be, uh, you know, a meat. I think that once you're infected by the Borg, like you're just the Borg. (laughs) That should be their slogan. Once you're infected by the Borg, you're just the Borg. (laughs) They've got a pretty good slogan already. Yeah, they've already got a pretty good slogan. Let's be honest. Yeah, anyway, so uh, so we'll, we'll leave it with uh, humanity fighting against rage virus infected walking dead zombies, and uh, we pray for their souls. Uh, moving on to Azerothian times. All right, this week in Azerothian times, we've got uh, two controversies, and then one thing that's actually kind of old news, but I just thought it was really neat, so I wanted to talk about it. Cool. Uh, let's do the controversy first. All right, you ready for this? Go for it. $60 boost to level 90. Boo. Uh, so, yeah, I say, yeah! <laughs> so, no, so, dude, what's that, what's that thing that Becca says? Say what? <laughs> say what? I am on board with this. I think it's a good price. Yeah, but I think you're a fanboy, though. But what? <laughs> <laughs> how are you not a fanboy? How to insult your co-host in one easy step. Up, I want you to open up your pet tab and your mount tab <laughs> and tell me who the, the fanboy is, all right? <laughs> That's so true. You got taken down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eat that. Eat that. What that smell like. So $60 for level 90. To me, I want it to be a little high. Like, I don't think it's overpriced because I don't want them to be little the leveling process from 1 to 90. I mean, say it was a $30 boost. Do you think it should be higher or lower than 60? Well, the standard let's, let's the, sta- the, sta- the standard cost on, on Warcraft to do stuff like um, server swaps and uh, alliance, yeah, um, character sort of changes and stuff like that is $25. So I think they should have stuck with that model. Oh, David. <laughs> um, I think that $25 is just too cheap, man. 
why wouldn't you just have a 90 of every class if it was $25? That's right. Isn't that want- the point? I, want a, I mean, I've already got a 90 of every class, but that, I mean, that's what, it makes it fair to other people to also get a 90 of every class. My opinion on it is, I like the idea that whenever you're, you're on the character creation screen and you're deciding what kind of character you want to make and you're deciding what kind of role, what, what suits you best, I think that that decision's belittled whenever, you know, well, if I don't like it next week, I'll just pay 25 bucks and get another one, you know? I like the idea that it's a high cost. You're not going to do this every week. I don't want there to be a million level 90s and nobody's leveling anymore. I think the price ought to be high enough that it's still almost, there's still a part of you that it's worth leveling at least part of the way and then paying for the boost. Because, you know, if you pay past 60, you get the professions upgrade, which I would almost always do it from 60. I would level almost every character to 60, pay the $60, level it to 90. But you could just make a level 1 level it to 90 and i think that more than anything charging 25 dollars kind of belittles that process like it makes me feel like oh well the time i spent leveling from 1 to 90 was only worth 25 dollars in blizzard's eyes you see what i'm saying yeah but okay well i actually didn't know that extra bit so you're saying it's 60 dollars to go from 1 to 90 or still 60 dollars to go from 60 to 90 and you get two professions as far as i know you can make a level one, pay sixty dollars, and level it to ninety. That's an right absolute. Now, that's an absolute right, ripoff. The details are up in the air. I don't think yeah. anything official has been said. Okay, if that if that's that, actually the case, to go from one to ninety and you pay the sixty dollars, eh, whatever. I mean, it's an arbitrary number, really. They could charge whatever they wanted. They could charge a dollar if they want. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything in the real world. Yeah, okay. I mean, sixty for one to ninety. I can see your point. But to pay also then pay sixty dollars to go from sixty to ninety. After I've already gotten the effort of going from one to sixty, that's that's ridiculous. That should be twenty five. I think you know if I had my way in a perfect world, this is the way this is the way it would be. The boost from sixty to ninety would be thirty nine ninety nine, <laughs> and there would be no boost from one to ninety except for the one you get for buying Warlords of Draenor. Gotcha. That's that's the way I would do it. I'm I'm, trying, be, I'm down with that for sure. If I was president of the world, or at least Blizzard. <laughs> This is the way I would roll. If I was president of the world, um, the changing Blizzard uh, Warcraft would be the last thing on my mind. <laughs> I just don't feel like I, I just don't want to. I like the idea of the ninety boost. Like I think yeah. it's a cool idea. It I is. think it's something they had to do at some point. But I still want it to be a decision. Like I still want you to have to think about. Well, do I want to? You know, do I want to boost a druid to ninety? You know, it's twenty five dollars. I'll just do each one. And then whenever the patch notes comes out, I'll see which one's overpower, and I'll play it until the next patch. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I, mean, I, 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 I agree. I agree with your uh, president of the world idea. I mean, if if I actually would take away the buy a ninety thing and, and just leave it for the one that you get for the expansion, and only make it you have to level a certain period. Level from one to sixty is a fair period, I think, and then boost the I rest think so of the way. Too. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I think so too, and that's kind of the area of the game that they remade. Whenever they did Cataclysm. So you level 1 to 60, then you pay for a boost. And that gives you 60 levels to kind of decide whether this is what you want to play, this is what you want to spend the 40, 50 bucks, or whatever they charge on. That's what they should do. Blizzard, that's what you should be doing. Yeah. All right, they listen, right? They follow us on Twitter anyway. They do follow us on Uh, Twitter. The new rating hierarchy. So this is one that I disagree with. So the new rating hierarchy is going to go, whenever you hit level 90, your gear that you get from questing, uh, should be enough to get you into normal dungeons. Now, the current rotation is you do normal dungeons. You, the gear you get from normal dungeons is enough to put you into heroic five-man dungeons. Uh, and the gear that you get from heroic five-mans puts you into LFR. And then from LFR, 
a lot of people, a lot of casual players, that's their rating is LFR. Uh, flex would be next after LFR, and then there's 10-man, uh, normal 10-man heroic, yada, yada, yada. Well, the the way that Warlords, now, and this was from a post from a, from a Blizzard employee, so I think it's pretty official. It's going to go, the, the gear that you get from questing at level 90, it's going to be enough to put you into normal. And then the gear you get from normals, instead of pushing, putting you into heroic five-mans, is going to put you into LFR. So LFR is going to be easier nor, than heroic five-mans. At uh, BlizzCon, um, they called it tourist mode. That was how they described it. <laughs> uh, basically, they want you yeah, to see kind of the content. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, they said they want you to see the content and know you know the basic mechanics of the bosses so that whenever you are geared up enough to do flex, you kind of know what's going on. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I love flex. I, I really think flex was a great thing to introduce to the game. Um, but I really dig LFR, and I think it's underappreciated. Like, I get the hatred towards it. The hatred towards it is, well, in a lot of ways, LFR is actually harder than you know normal 10-mans or than flex because you're with a group of people you don't know. They're all they all have a chip on their shoulder and they're all being jerks to each other. Yeah. Um, and you know it's it's hard to get like any kind of like well I want everybody to stand here we're going to follow this strategy. No one takes up leadership to do that. Um, and so I mean in that way LFR is kind of a pain in the neck. Yeah. And I think that's the problem that they're trying to address with this. But for me, it's not so much a pain in the neck that they should just make it easier. I don't know what they should do, but I don't like this solution. I don't, I don't, I don't like the idea that LFR is going to be on tourist mode. I play a lot of LFR, and there's a lot of times that I do get in a really good group, and we have a, we have a good time, we have a good raid. And so, I mean, it's, it's if you're social and you talk to people, it's not really that bad of an experience. Yeah. It's just um, but for me, I'm actually I'm not as social as you. I've only been, I've actually only done LFR four times, and two times the group was actually pretty decent. I actually had quite a lot of fun. The other two times was an absolute disaster and it was a complete waste of my time. But That's uh, the way it is. Yeah, it's but, about half and half, honestly. Yeah. But, but I guess, I mean, I, I, I do agree with you saying if, if you're social, it makes it a little a lot easier. I just, I'm just not that social. I mean, I just, I just, you know, I go in there and I do the best I can do. I always do the best I can, you know, and, and, I mean, I'm, and I'm pretty good. So, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a valued member of the team. But uh, I'm just not I'm not interested in the chatting. So I just want to get in there, get the thing done, and get out of there. Yeah, I don't like this whole tourist mode thing. I mean, I I, I want to. I'm I'm hopeful. I want to wait and see how it how it comes out. I mean, maybe it's not the way we're thinking it is. But I mean, it sounds it sounds like it's. I mean, it's only a step above normal five mans. Which I mean, when was the last time you did a normal five man? Ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, forever ago. Yeah. You pretty much hit ninety, and you almost have the gear you need to do heroic. Um, now, <laughs> well, yeah, once, yeah, once you hit this, timeless isle, it's, it's, it's throwing the whole thing out of whack. Oh yeah, timeless isle's nut. I don't know. I want to see. I want to see how that turns out. Now cool. to the old news, but new news for me. World of Warcraft a few months ago put out this infographic. Well, it was just last month. They put it out last month, so it's not that old. They're very popular these days. These infographic things. Yeah, I know. You see them everywhere. Yeah. I know. I thought there was some really interesting facts in here, and, I, and I've been telling people, like even people that don't play WoW, I, I was telling Matt the other day, Matt has no idea how WoW, WoW works, but I was like, you know, I really want to tell you these details of this infographic. So uh, I'm not going to go through all of them, some of the interesting ones. Uh, in the lifetime of WoW, they've had over a hundred over 100 million 
players, um, people that subscribe to the game unique, and left or whatever. Un- unique World of Warcraft accounts, but that does include trials, though. <laughs> yeah, they had the they have the trials too. Um, it's played in two hundred forty four countries. All right, so what do you what do you think about the uh, about this? So fifty two percent of all players are alliance. Forty seven percent of all players are horde. One percent is neutral because that's the one percent of people that didn't level up uh, Pandera. What what did you think it was really? No, as far a, as I know, this is the first time they've released that statistic. I would have said maybe sixty forty alliance horde. Really. Yeah. I thought I I for sure thought more players played Horde. Yeah, I don't know why. I just I've always played Horde, and yeah, well, most yeah. people I talk to play Horde. No, my my the majority of my characters are Alliance. The only, really? the, the only reason I've sort of delved mostly into Horde stuff is because of you. Yeah. So I mean, I've got. A, I mean, I've got. I'm a bad influence on you. <laughs> I mean, it's, I basically I, I I've played. I mean, I've got an Alliance and a Horde of each class. But I've got, but then I've got more alliance stuff just because I'm sort of just more used to their sort of areas and stuff, I suppose. But you know, that's the the most the most time I've come up across a player who is not the nicest person in the world. Nine times out of yeah. ten, they'll be horde. Well, I guess uh, you've alienated uh, about forty-seven percent of our audience, huh? Uh, let's see. Uh, so uh, there are five hundred million characters created in WoW. Um, and to give that a comparison, there's 316 million uh, people in the United States. Right. That is the craziest statistic I've ever seen. So there's, uh, so you account for like 30 of these characters. <laughs> uh, so 500 million characters created in WoW, and the population of the United States is 316 million. Right. Is that not is that not phenomenal that there's more characters in WoW than there is population of the United States? No, because it's easier to create a character in WoW than it is to have a baby. Oh, it, well, actually, I'll take that back. It's actually pretty easy. It's pretty easy to have a baby. <laughs> is there something yeah, socially yeah. wrong with that? Um, <laughs> um, I, I, don't I, wouldn't, think, I wouldn't say it's think, socially wrong. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> I think you ought to. I think you ought to have to wait nine months to make a creator character <laughs> in World of Warcraft. I think it's a bigger decision than twenty five dollars, David. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and uh oh you might be interested in this uh most common pet is uh squirrel <laughs> squirrel <laughs> uh, the rarest pet is the tiny red carp do you have a tiny red carp no i do not because i can't be bothered spending the insane amount of money it would cost to get one or you can, i can go try and get one in game but i can't be bothered but uh and then they they get into you know uh 50 million searches per year uh, for the words WoW or Warcraft. And I can't say anytime I'm looking for something in the game, I never have to type, type WoW at the end. I just type what I'm looking for, and inevitably the top result will be the War Warcraft version of whatever that was I was looking for. You know, oh, Even if it's not what you're looking for, I was actually looking for something. I was doing some research for something the other day for Dungeons and & Dragons, and uh, I was looking up oh. um, Warlock stuff. And yeah. if I didn't put in the WoW tag as well in the search thing, it would always come up with the World of Warcraft version of Warlocks. It was, oh, it was, yeah. It was actually kind of frustrating so in the end. So I, had to, I had to make sure I had WoW in there, and then I typed in whatever I wanted. It was pretty cool. I thought that all that stuff was interesting. Um, that came out last month. You can find it on uh, – they actually have it on the World of Warcraft website. It's in their blog section. Just know that we are legion. <laughs> we, we are many. We we are definitely many, and it's, it's good to know that there's other people around the world that are just obsessed as we are. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that was uh, Azerothian times. 
As a special, as an extra special bonus for this episode, uh, I've actually got an interview with Mr. Andrew Finnegan, uh, who is the creator and star of a one-man comedy show called Songs from the End of the World. Uh, Andrew was uh, good enough to talk to us about his show, uh, which is going to be shown, which he'll be performing at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which runs from March 23 to April 20 uh, in Melbourne, in venues all around Melbourne. You got to check out their website; it's awesome. I'll put the website uh, in the show notes. Um, and Songs from the End of the World uh, is, as the title suggests, is basically all about apocalypses and you know things that can happen. You know, to to humanity <laughs> to wipe us out and stuff. Uh, he plays the ukulele and the piano, <laughs> and in the interview, he actually performs one of those songs for us as well, which is hilarious. He was a great dude, and uh, I just want to say uh, thank you very much again for uh, for talking to us. So here we go with the interview. And at the end of you, at the end of the interview, uh, don't forget to we'll we'll come back and we'll finish off the show. Hello, this is David, and I am at the awesome Butterfly Club in uh, Melbourne, and I am with, with the very, almost equally as cool, <laughs> Andrew Finnegan. Hello. How you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Thank you very much for uh, agreeing to be contacted. It's nice to be on the show, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's an absolute pleasure. I've actually, I haven't seen your actual, the, the show itself, uh, Songs from the end, uh, end of the World. Yes. Uh, but I have seen all of your YouTube videos. Oh, all of them. I've watched them all, the entire channel. Like my, my trip to Japan. Yeah, and so your trip, trip, your trip <laughs> overseas, uh, just, and uh, some samples of the, of the music and stuff like that. Yeah, cool. And uh, I'll, I'll be definitely, I'll be coming to see the show. Fantastic. For sure. Awesome. Um, so, so we're talking, we're talking about uh, Andrew's uh, one-man comedy show. Yep. Uh, it's going to be on at the Melbourne International Comedy, comedy Festival. Festival. Yep. yep. And, uh, and you've you actually you've done the show before. I've read, read up on some reviews. You've done it at the Adelaide Fringe. Yep. So I opened at the Adelaide Fringe last year, mm-hmm. and then I performed at the Sydney Fringe and the Melbourne Dar- the Darabin Music Feast as well, and um, and a few other places for one of shows. And some good reviews. Yeah. So yep. not bad. Happy. It's got to be pretty inspiring. It's kind of like well, you know, oh, people obviously enjoying it. Got to yeah. get out there. Yeah. Even the one bad review had. Nice things to say. So, oh really? There were, I didn't see any bad reviews. No, 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 no. That's good. And there were no bad. There were no bad reviews. No, no. I never no. saw it, and so therefore it doesn't exist. Mm. So, can you just tell me, tell me a bit uh, about about the show itself. Well, I mean, uh, it's a, it's a one man show. Mm-hmm. It involves comedy and music. Yes. So um, the show is called Songs from the End of the World, and that's pretty much what it is. It's um, an exploration of the, I guess, this concept of the end of the world and this preoccupation that the human race is always really had with, you know, the world is ending. Um, I think it's something that has been in, in our pop culture as long as I can remember. Yeah. Um, even from before, you know, right from, you know, medieval times, people have been waiting for the end of the world to happen, and, and definitely through my life, um, you know, I grew up I grew up watching Buffy and um, <laughs> the, the world's ending every other episode, so, yeah. She saved the world a lot. <laughs> she did, indeed. <laughs> but even, I mean, even ancient, ancient times, I mean, there's, I mean the Babylonians had the mm-hmm. like, end of the world. Oh yes, yes. And, you know, all sorts of stuff. Do you touch on that in the show? Oh, absolutely. They, oh, right. um, well, it's, it's interesting because you had the, the 2012 thing a few years ago, and um, and part of that sort of story is um, well, there's there's the um, the Mayan prophecy, mm-hmm. but there's also this idea of this planet called Nibiru, which is meant to sort of pass through the the Earth's atmosphere every 3,600 years, and that was that that actually came from the ancient Babylonians. Cool. Yeah. And that is mentioned in the show as well. It is. And you go all the way up to sort of modern type stuff, so plagues and yep. pestilences and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to hear about uh, the 
infected the zombie pingers. Oh yes. Yeah. So um, got a lot, got a lot Rasp- of bird attacks. Yeah, Rasputin, who was like the original mad monk from the Russian Revolution, yeah. he actually predicted that the world would end in an apocalypse in 2013. Whoa. And um, around that date that it was due to happen, there was this this pigeon infection in Moscow where all these pigeons sort of started falling out of the sky half dead but still crawling around oh. and um, with you know postules coming out of their nose <laughs> not, not their noses their beaks yeah. and um, yeah and everyone went oh it must be the end of the world and it wasn't but it wasn't though <laughs> but there were zombie pigeons do you have a do you have your own sort of end of the world prophecies or how you think it's all going to go out me personally oh, I think I've been I've been watching too much Walking Dead at the moment, so I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the zombies to happen, just because, you know, zombies are cool. Unfortunately, I think that the worst outcome is the world doesn't end, and we just live very boring lives. I think, <laughs> I think people kind of want the world to end, so it can be, you know, it can go out with a bang. If a zombie apocalypse happened now, and how awesome is season four of Walking Dead? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're on fire. But uh, people would just think it was some sort of publicity stunt. Yes, I mean a lot of more, exactly. a lot more people would die because they wouldn't be so surprised by it. It's like, look, there's zombies coming! <laughs> Quick, get my iPad, my yeah. uh, iPhone out, and need to take photos. Exactly. Them. I mean, it's, it's the classic it's true. like those monster movies that you get nowadays. It's you know Cloverfield and stuff. People mm-hmm. are filming it. Yep, yep. It's like back in you know back in my day, in the Godzilla days, mm-hmm. you're running for your lives. Oh yes, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> the thing, that, the thing about the end of the world though is like the end is not the end is not the end. You usually get your know, um, dystopian futures afterwards if it's, you know, battle with machines or, yeah. you, know, um, a, you know, your Hunger Games kind of scenario. Yeah. So, I mean, that's also another thing that, we, that I touch upon in, the, uh, in my show. It's, a, it's an interesting subject. I mean, you're basically, yeah. I mean, in all seriousness, you're, talking, you're basically sinning and doing comedy about death. Yes. And yet it's funny. It's funny. Well, I, I, I see it at least to be funny. Well, I play the ukulele, so yeah. you know. And piano, yeah. And I play the piano yeah. as well, mm-hmm. but I, I think playing the ukulele definitely softens the blow. You know, when you're talking about, you know, when you're talking about deadly diseases and viruses and the plague, uh, when you're singing a song on the ukulele, it doesn't sound so bad. How can you take the ukulele seriously? <laughs> oh no, I take it quite seriously. <laughs> um, so because there's music involved, do you do you have a background in music as well? Oh yes, yes. I, I look. I, I started out doing a lot of... When I was at uni, I did a lot of you know, musical theatre and that kind of thing. And, um, awesome. And I guess somewhere along the way, I was sort of interested in comedy, but I was also interested in music. And I think, in some ways, you know, the music makes the jokes funnier and the jokes make the music funnier. It's a, kind of, it's a nice combination. And I think that... Um, because I also work with satire a lot, it's, it's a really interesting way to sort of work... The, the musical genre in ways that don't necessarily match the content. Mm-hmm. So um, so you've got zombie apocalypse, but you have the ukulele. And, okay. and so the, it, it just feels a bit weird and funny, and it just works. Yeah. I love the ukulele. I think it's, yeah. it's uh, under, undervalued. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been a bit overrated lately in the last five years. <laughs> but I, I think I think we've reached a nice balance again. And, uh, and so, and what made you decide to choose, uh, to use sort of comedy? Do you have a comedy background as well? Oh, look, I, I started out, um, I, I was actually living in Darwin about six years ago, mm-hmm. and, um, and I was quite bored, and, I, and there was an open night yeah, comedy night, um, and there was an open night comedy night, night and yeah. I thought, yeah, um, in hindsight, that probably shouldn't have, should have been like chicken wire in front of the stage, because wow. it, was, it was definitely trial by fire, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I brought out the music, and they went, oh, that's different, and started singing weird songs, and 
I think they were just a bit confused, really, but uh, it kind of worked. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any uh, sort of comedy influences? Oh goodness! Um, look, I grew up. I grew up watching The Goodies and um, Monty Python and um, oh, and a lot of British comedy, I guess. And of course, you know, Monty Python used a lot of music, mm. musical satire. Yeah. Um, I guess more recent years, I've definitely been. Um, you know, into you know, you fly the Concords and and well, I mean, we're in the Butterfly Club. This is where Tim Minchin uh, started out. For example. Oh, that's he, awesome! He rose to fame. And, wow. Um, yes, and you know, there's a lot of different influences. But um, that said, I, I like to sort of think that I've gotten to a point where I'm finding my own kind of voice as well. So for sure, yeah. And and music, you say any sort of musical influences other than the comedy ones? Oh, look. Um, I like to play around with genres, definitely. So, I mean, I've, you know, there's definitely a lot of musical theatre kind of influences, but I also um, got a bit of pop music influences. Uh, for example, cool. you know, Kim Jong Un. Yeah. It's just asking for someone to go all Gangnam Style on him. Yeah. yeah so there's a bit of that. Yeah. As long as you weren't in North Korea when you did it. Oh. It would, it would be okay. But no. <laughs> and how long have you been doing? How long have you been doing this since the Darwin? So basically, the Darwin, Darwin tryout was, was your yeah. That's when I started writing my own stuff. Yeah, and um, I've done a few shows since then. Um, so there was yeah, I did, I did a show called Librarian Idol when I was living in Darwin, and then I took that to um, uh, Adelaide Fringe and, and came to Melbourne with that as well. And that that was a different show. That was sort of talking about my life as a librarian and trying to uh, reach pop star fame. What would what would have been your favourite uh, ex- experience at one of your shows? Oh, well, my favourite, favourite experience is well, I can say my favourite experience is when a joke works. But the fav- my favourite <laughs> experience is when people laugh at things that I've forgotten are actually funny. Or being a live performer, there are a lot of surprises, and I think it's those moments where things go a little bit off the rails. Not 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 in a bad way, but in a okay. So I just realised I'm performing right underneath a flight path in Sydney. And all of a sudden, everyone thinks the world is actually ending because the whole building has started That's rumbling. Awesome. Yes, <laughs> and then the world didn't end, and then the show went on. <laughs> so you know, you, you get random things like that happen in shows, which is always fun. Have you had uh, any sort of star-struck sort of moment? Have you met anybody sort of doing the rounds? You know, Tim Minchin or something like that. I've never met Tim Minchin. Um, I remember seeing um, a show directly before him about ten years ago, where he was practically begging the audience to stay back and see his show offering half price tickets and um, um, and me and my girlfriend were like nah let's get out of here this guy looks like he's a bit I don't know he looks a bit crazy <laughs> <laughs> um, well being in the cabaret scene you know there are people like Eddie Perfect who, who's around Melbourne from time to time and he's he's definitely inspiration he, he um, def- I, I did a musical show with him once and Very um, cool. yeah and we, we all went and saw his comedy show that he did 10 years ago and you know that blew my mind yeah. and then after that I thought yeah that's definitely something that I'd like to do you know Aussie musical comedians who aren't afraid just to take the piss yeah. uh, to poke fun at um, society which is really what cabaret is about yeah. when it comes down to it it's about you know being a little bit a, bit, a little bit left to centre um, and dealing with some some of the issues but not necessarily in too serious a way yeah Mm. And is, is this your first time in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival? It is. Yeah, this, this is, is my this, this huge festival. This must be really yeah. exciting. It's scary, but you know it is exciting. It's 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 something I've been putting off for a while, and then the opportunity came up, and I went, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. 
Um, so, for my final question, mm-hmm. before, before we get into uh, a, a, a bit of a sample, which yep. would be very exciting. If you were doing this interview, what would be the one question that you would want asked, and what's the answer? Okay, um, so who should come to see my show? And the perfect person to come and buy tickets for my show are girlfriends of nerds, because they'll love the show, and they'll bring their boyfriends along who will also enjoy the show. There you have it, so all our, all our <laughs> female listeners, Yep. get your, get your boyfriends or husbands involved. Because there's music for the ladies, and yeah. then there's nerdy jokes for the, the blokes, and <laughs> vice versa, if that's what you're into. Well, I'll definitely, be, I'll definitely be coming to see the show, and I'll be bringing my wife. So, just uh, so those dates there, we got so like we said, it's at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which mm-hmm. runs from March twenty three to April twenty. Uh, but Andrew's show, Songs from the End of the World, is playing at the beautiful Butterfly Club uh, Tuesday and Wednesday nights yep. from March twenty five to April sixteen. Uh, tickets are available online. I'll have a link to the tickets to where you can buy the tickets, and in the show notes. Uh, and so before we go off, I just, um, I just want to say thank you very much, and uh, I'm really excited to hear this sample from one of your songs. Cool. Which, wow. which one have we got? So this is a song, this is um, looking at one of our possible dystopian futures. It's, it's partially influenced by uh, my life working in the school library as well. Okay, cool. It's the most important day of the year Get dressed, go into town All the people are gathered around There's a woman standing on the stage She's looking pretty good for her age She calls out your sister's name And you shout I'm volunteering for the Hunger Games You're a killer teenager Hunger Games You're always in danger Hunger Games No one's gonna save ya So may the odds be ever in your favour Yay! Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much, AJ. That was absolutely awesome. Yeah, and uh, we'll definitely be coming to the show. And all of our listeners, or well, everybody in Melbourne at least, come down and see the show. Link will be in the show notes. Help support Andrew and uh, listen to this awesome, awesome show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Let's finish up by checking out what films are coming out in the cinemas in Coming Soon. Okay, so I'll do Australian uh, releases and Barry will do American releases. In Australian, in Australian cinemas, March 13, The Monuments Men, which was reviewed on this very show by Yon Um and Need for Speed, which looks terrible. Looks like a, a poor man's version of the Fast and Furious franchise. So, Although one, one bonus for it is that all the car tricks in it were real, were done by the, act- the actors themselves. So that's pretty impressive. Oh, really? Yeah, but other than that, don't care. In America, for March 14th, we have um, Veronica Mars. Wait a minute, did I read that right? Veronica Mars? Yeah, they did a, a Kickstarter-funded, uh, crowd-funded uh, movie for Veronica Mars. Wow, that's pretty sad. Uh, then we have... Uh, <laughs> Why is that speed. sad? No, wait, 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 wait one second. <laughs> Why is that sad? I don't know. I've never watched Veronica Mars, but it has Dude. a negative connotation in my mind. <laughs> you should check it out. It's very cool. <laughs> Um, we have Need for Speed, which, God, yeah, I'm disappointed by this movie because <laughs> I feel like Aaron Paul, Aaron Paul is on the verge of being, like, a, a really good Hollywood actor, and, um, I don't think this should have been his first point, I don't think this should have been his pick, uh, for after Breaking Bad, I don't think he, I think he should have went for something a little more serious than Need for Speed. Yeah. Um, but, anyway, 
I'm sure that I'm, he's a great actor. I'm sure he'll be good in it. I just think it's going to be a bad movie. Uh, the Single Moms Club. Don't know nothing about that. Doesn't seem to apply to me. Better Living Through Chemistry, which is a, uh, a drama comedy. Um, uh, it actually looks pretty neat. I've never heard of it, but the cover looks cool. It looks like maybe it's kind of a quirky kind of comedy. Is Brian Cranston um, in it? No Brian Cranston. So, I mean, <laughs> how good could it really be? That's it. Uh, we have Dark House, which is a horror thriller. And it looks like, uh, again, I don't know nothing about it, but judging from the cover, it looks like a Rob Zombie movie. Um, but it is not. Uh, <laughs> the Art of the Steel looks pretty good. Action comedy. And uh, that's what we have coming out for the weekend of the 14th. You've got a heap of stuff coming yeah, out. Bonanza. Also, yeah, lots uh, of stuff actually coming out. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's it. Let's, uh, let's finish up. Don't forget uh, all of our contact details are at the end of the show. Um, but if you want to hear some more of uh, Intermediate Age Bo, you can do so on ECN Radio at ECNRadio.com. And if you want to hear both of us, you can do that on our, pro- our side project called Film Flams, which is at www.filmflams.com. Uh, our latest one, as of this date, was Prometheus, which uh, embarrassed myself by ranting like an idiot. We were, uh, we were good cop, bad cop on that one. <laughs> we were. But, uh, but check it out. It's, uh, it's entertaining stuff. I can't believe you chose to do Prometheus after. <laughs> I'm, surprised he's, I'm surprised your head didn't explode. I did go into a bit of nerd rage. That is true. Bo had to sort of calm me down at a couple no, of points. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, was, it was good. Honestly, to think back on it, I was probably a little too positive about the movie. <laughs> We, we I just had, thought it was—I just thought it was a fun movie that had some cool scenery, but that's about <laughs> all you can say about it. That is about all you can say. Okay, so that's it for episode eighty-two. That's thanks from me and from Bo. So round four is an army of Daryl Dixons versus an army of Michonnes. Ooh, I can imagine Scott's reaction to that. It's like play Daryl Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome—an army of Daryl Dixons versus army of Michonnes. I'm going with yeah. Michonne. Michonne's way cooler than Daryl. Yeah, uh, she is way cooler. But I like Daryl, but seriously. And Crystal! Well, he... Round five is the winner versus an army of Brian Cranston's. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> they'd be, they'd be, they'd succumb just to the uh, the awesomeness of Brian Cranston. There'd be, there would be no fight. <laughs> they'd bow down in, in, in supplication. Ooh, right, that's it. Thanks, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. www.nerdculturepodcast.com And email Feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com Facebook Facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast Twitter At nerdculturecast now You can also Skype us uh, on nerdculturepodcast And you can rate and review us on iTunes And subscribe to the podcast And don't forget we also have our Amazon affiliate widget On our website that uh, you can go, use to go through and purchase things through Amazon uh, with your own with your own account. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but we get a, a, a slice of the profits and um, a very small slice, but a slice nonetheless. It makes uh, us happy, and uh, which you know helps us uh, produce the show and uh, various other stuff. But also, it's just it's awesome. So if uh, if you could use that, that would be awesome. And thank you for listening.